torture time. Stop, I cried. It hurts. Part two. Chapter six is called Torture Time. Part two consisted of special exercises during the acute stages of polio when the patient has a fever, frequent spasms tighten the muscles. These muscles must be gradually stretched back to normal before they can be regained before they can regain their strength. After I was moved out of isolation, I had my first physical therapy session. Immediately after be my morning hot packs treatment, a physical therapist turned me onto my back. She grasped my right ankle with one hand and put her hand on my right knee to keep my leg straight and raise my leg in, uh, to, until it was straight up from my stomach because the big hamstring muscles at the backs of my legs were so tight, it was painful to hold my leg in that position, even after the hot packs. I begged the therapist to stop, but she held my leg firmly and upright. I am only trying to help you get well, she said. At last, she put my leg down, immediately grasped the other leg, and stretched it. I couldn't kick or pull away from her hands. My mouth was my only defense, and I used it, shrieking and crying. Stop that, she snapped. You should be ashamed making such a scene. I stopped yelling, but I wasn't ashamed, and I couldn't control the tears that were streaming down my cheeks. This is even worse than the hot packs, I complained. When she finally put my leg down, at least the hot packs feel good, part of the time after they cool off these stretching exercises hurt the whole time be grateful you are here at all the therapist told me after she left i told tommy her name was mrs crab from then on that is what we called her mrs crab never had polio i said she doesn't know how much it hurts that afternoon mrs crab came in again i groaned and said it's torture time. Tommy giggled and repeated my comment to all of the nurses. From then on, my muscles were stretched twice a day. Another exercise that I hated was the one that stretched my hamstrings and the back and my back at the same time. For this one, I was pushed I was pushed up until I sat upright in bed with my legs out in front of me. The bottoms of my feet were placed flat against a board at the foot of my bed. When Mrs. Crab put her hand, uh, then Mrs. Crab put her hand on the back of my head and held my chin to my chest. I pushed my head and pushed my head down towards my knees. The pain began at the back of my neck and ran all the way down my spine and along the backs of my legs. Each time Mrs. Crab pushed, I thought I couldn't bear it. Then she pushed harder. No one ever explained the purpose of the stretching exercises to me. Mrs. Crab said, this will help you get well, but I didn't understand how and I wasn't willing to take her word for it. 
All I knew was that twice every day my body was forced to move in ways that hurt. Each time Mrs. Crab pushed my head towards my knees, I groaned. The more I complained, the more she belittled me. You're acting like a baby, she said, instead of a big girl of 12 years old. Look at little Tommy lying there in the iron lung. You don't hear him crying. You aren't stretching his hamstrings, I said. He's perfectly comfortable. You should be glad you're well enough to get therapy, she said. You should thank me instead of crying all the time. Thank you for torturing me, I said. She pushed my head down an extra inch. I was sure that my spinal cord would snap in two. If she leaned any harder, perhaps Mrs. Crab expected me to be more mature because I was tall for my age. At 12, I had already reached my full adult height of 5 feet 8 inches. But I had led a sheltered life in a small mid Midwestern town. Television was not yet common, and the only movies I had seen were Bambi and Snow White, or half of Snow White. My parents had to take me out in the middle of Snow White because I got frightened of the witch. Except, uh, except for the time I had my tonsils out, I had never even been away from my parents overnight. Because my grandpa lived with us, I had never ha had to be put into daycare. Now, I was far from home, in pain, and scared. Dad had to go to work, and since visiting hours or Sundays were, on Sundays were enforced at, when I was out of isolation, Mother went home with him. Austin was 100 miles from the, the hospital in Minneapolis. Mother and Dad planned to visit us each Sunday, but they were no longer my daily support system. I was my own dealing I was on my own dealing with Mrs. Crab. By then, I knew that my chances of mo moving normally were slim. I remembered the stories about polio epidemics that I had heard before I got sick. I recalled the pictures of the polio patients in wheelchairs and leg braces. At least they could use their arms and hands. I couldn't even do that. When I asked the nurses questions about my future, their answers were vague. Each case is different, one told me. We can't know for sure what will happen. Although nobody came right out and said so, I, that I would not get better, I sensed that the stuff I sensed that the staff had seen many patients in my condition who remained paralyzed, and this terrified me. My parents and Dr. Bevis stayed optimistic, but I suspected that they were the only trying to keep me from panicking. Part of every day was taken up with routine care. Dr. Bevis checked on me twice a day. Hot packs and stretching exercises lasted an hour and a half, and each day, hour and a half, and each morning, and each afternoon. My sheets were changed daily, and the nurses took my temperature regularly. I was fed and turned and bathed. Still, the days seemed endless. I had plenty of time to lie there and worry. I thought about my school 
which was a three-story building that had no ramps or elevators, only stairs. I could finish school in a wheelchair, or could I? What would what will happen to me, I wondered. I loved animals and books, and I wanted to be either a veterinarian or a writer, but either profession seemed beyond my reach. I thought about how our family veterinarian lifted BJ onto the, onto the examining table for his checkups. It seemed unlikely that I would ever be able to lift so much as a pet mouse Writers had to be able to hold a pencil or maybe even type. A typewriter, let's see, writers must be able to hold a pencil or use a typewriter, and I could do neither. Even the ordinary hope of being a wife and mother someday were dim. Who would want to marry a woman who could not even bathe, go to the bathroom by herself or bathe herself? Torture time was a way to vent a frustration. I knew when I I knew when I screamed and cried that I was being difficult. I even realized that Mrs. Crabb would not be so hard on me if I cooperated, but I felt she was wrong to make light of my pain, and so I continued to carry on. One morning doctor Bevis came along while I was having torture time. As usual, I shouted and I moaned while Mrs. Crabb held me or while Mrs. Crabb told me what a crybaby I was and Dr. Bevis stood beside my bed for a moment watching. Suddenly, I was embarrassed at my own behavior. I stopped crying and yelling. I didn't want my hero to see me at my worst. It hurts, doesn't it? He said. I... I nodded. If you do these exercises, he said, one of these days you'll walk for me. If you don't, he shrugged and let me figure out the consequences for myself. I swallowed a scream as Mrs. Crabb forced my head towards my knees. I'm proud of you, he, sa he said, for, wor for working hard. Hmm, said Mrs. Crabb. That's all he said. That's all he needed to say. His words of acceptance and encouragement changed my behavior far more effectively than the therapist's consistent scolding. With all of my heart, I wanted to keep this promise to Dr. Bevis to walk. I wanted not only to walk for him, I wanted it for myself. I wanted to stretch my muscles in order to walk again. I would do any stretch and as many stretches of my muscles, no matter how much it hurt. But I still didn't like Mrs. Crabb, and whenever I was sure that Dr. Bevis was not nearby, I yelled. And that's the end of chapter 6.